And hello everyone, and thank you so much for listening to the Battery Insiders podcast. My name is Dr. Simon Engelke, the founder and chair of Battery Associates and one of the co-hosts of this podcast. And today I just want to use these few moments to tell you about today's topic, which is the very timely on the emergence of on-AI device AI applications and impact on battery life. We had Dr. Raj Talui with us, who's the president and CEO of the Innovix Corporation. And yes, so we had a really nice you know, deep dive on looking at what happens um, to the energy requirements and power requirements of devices with all of this emergent on-the-edge, on-device AI. And then also looking what that means to the battery, what kind of battery chemistries have an impact there, etc. And also have a bit of a look at their company and what they're doing in the space with Innovix. And yeah, this was a really fascinating discussion. I think very nice kickoff to the year. And yeah, with this, of course, we hope you had a wonderful start to the new year, year twenty. Um, if you're curious, we have run this podcast for about three years now, so there's quite a lot of recordings you can find on this channel, um, either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to it. Feel free to rate it and give your feedback there, we really appreciate it. And you can also subscribe to get notified about upcoming sessions, which we record live on Clubhouse if you go on batteryinsiders.com. And yeah, we hope you enjoy today's session. There are going to be quite a few more coming. We're going to go back to have the more regularly about once a month live recordings. And there's also quite a few other recordings we shared for the last couple of months, which are live podcast recordings in person, mostly, but also some on Zoom or online from great leaders also in the battery space. And we have been using um, the opportunity to talk to lots of them at a lot of events we participated in for the past year, including the Financial Times Future of the Car Summit, but also the European Battery Show, as well as the and the Future Battery Forum in Berlin. So yeah, there's been quite a few great events and we have been participating in, and we hope you enjoy all of these discussions. If you're ever curious and want to you know, give feedback or come on the podcast, or maybe also sponsor a future session, please get in touch with us, um, either via LinkedIn or any other platform where you can find us on. And now let's get to today's episode. Great. I think with this, we can get started. And I'm sure some other people will join us later on as well. And just for everyone to be aware, this will be recorded as part of the Battery Insiders podcast, just in case anybody joins later on, on stage or wants to share anything, that you're aware that this will be part of the recording. And also that the replays are on, you should be able to see on the top left, just for you to be aware. Fantastic. I think with this, I can quickly introduce today our session, and then Mariam can maybe pass on to the topic and also to our fantastic speaker. Um, we're really thrilled to have you all here. Happy New Year. It's the first recording, first podcast recording of the year 2024. And thanks so much for joining the Battery Insiders podcast. And we have these discussions here on Clubhouse, the Battery Revolution Clubhouse discussions with some thought leaders in the space of batteries and related topic. And it's really an exchange, right? So we love to have it interactive. So would love to have you later on asking your questions. So, you know, if you feel like you have any questions, you can either put them into the chat and then we can bring you up to stage or we can also ask the questions on your behalf. And my name is Simon Inke founder and chair of Battery Associates and co-moderator of these sessions. I'm very thrilled to also have Myron with me, another co-moderator. And maybe do you want to quickly introduce yourself and our speaker for today? Indeed. I uh, co-host uh, the podcast with Simon here. I am a co-founder at a company called Pulsenix. We characterize battery cells. And so I live and breathe performance data for batteries. And this is always 
a fun time to learn about all the different aspects of battery technologies. Um, we have Raj, um, Dr. Raj Taluri, who will be um, uh, sharing insights on a very relevant topic in today's world, which is related to the effect of uh, the use of AI on battery life. And uh, I'll kick it back uh, to Simon to introduce Dr. Raj, but this is uh, quite a timely topic for us to be discussing today. Thank you so much, ma'am. And yeah, it's, as you said, it's really a timely topic and maybe you also spend your holidays and you played around with all these nice new AI tools. And yeah, I'm very thrilled we have a discussion and think about it also in the battery context, because I think that's definitely quite helpful. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to say too much of our speaker because I'm sure he can do a better job. But what I really find fascinating about him, he has been quite a, you know, involved in, I think, you know, the, the tech industry from Texas Instruments, quite a career there, Qualcomm and many other really fascinating companies and now being the president and CEO of Innovics um, Corporation. So very excited to have him with us. And maybe you want to pass it, uh, kick it off, Raj, and introduce yourself a bit and the topic of today. Yeah, thank you, Simon, and uh, thank you, Mariam. It's really my pleasure to be here to talk to um, you know all the people on this uh, channel about uh, <clears throat> about batteries and battery tech, and more importantly, the demands that uh, the new applications uh, are placing on the batteries. Uh, just in the quick quick in the way of introduction, again, my name is Raj Tillery. Currently, I'm the president and CEO of. Um, company called Innovix Technology. We are, uh, uh, this, this company is based in uh, Fremont, California, and we are a battery manufacturer. We manufacture lithium ion batteries. Um, before coming here, I was, I spent almost uh, 30 years in the technology industry. I did my PhD at UT Austin, then joined Texas Instruments, was there for 16 years building various processors that went into many consumer electronic devices. And towards the end, I was working on, um, End of my stay there, I was working on the OMAP application processor, which uh, some people may remember was a processor that was in the first Droid phone. And then uh, I was at, tech, at, at Qualcomm for about nine years. I built the Snapdragon uh, processor franchise there, leading the application processor technologies. Um, you know, as you guys might know, as your listeners might know, Snapdragon powers many of the leading smartphones, uh, you know, today. I spent another five years after that at uh, Micron Technology, where I spent uh, most of my time leading the effort to, you know, sell DRAMs and NANDs into all the mobile phones. So I've been in mobile phones and consumer electronic devices for 30 years. And towards the tail end of that, uh, that uh, building process, I realized that the next big problem to be solved is actually the batteries. Because uh, as we'll go through, you know, some of the material in this talk, um, the processors got faster, the memories got faster, the displays got bigger, the cameras got better, but the battery hasn't quite kept up. And now with all the AJI applications coming in, uh, the demands of the battery life has become even more. Uh, so Innovix is a company that's making a, a new kind of battery by using new kind of material that promises to deliver much higher battery life, uh, you know, battery capacity and energy density than the current lithium-ion batteries. So with that, uh, uh, thank you so much for the introduction and looking forward to you know questions. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Raj. And I think maybe to kick it off a bit, right? So why is it so relevant right now? And I think, you know, maybe what's a bit of a trend you're seeing? Because, I mean, you have quite a bit of an experience, right, on, on the hardware side, on the ship side. 
And, but now what you can see from a device perspective is all of the AI, you know, because maybe not everyone is really familiar with this topic. It would be great if you can maybe introduce us a bit. Yeah. So, you know, um, this, this, you know, I just actually came back from a consumer electronics show uh, last week in Las Vegas. And the big theme at the tour really is, uh, is AI and in particular generative AI. Um, you know, it's really taken it by storm. There are PCs now introduced that's got special AI functions and there's Almost all cell phones have tremendous amount of AI. You know, one thing, maybe I'll, I'll kind of motivate it really quickly. The, the best AI applications, a lot of times people ask, what are the new applications of AI? Why AI is so relevant? Um, actually, most users are already using a lot of AI in their uh, in their day-to-day life. For example, if you, you know, take pictures with a smartphone, um, very quickly what has happened over the last many years is... Um, a lot of AI processing has already kept in to the smartphones. You know, whenever you take a picture, the phone, for example, tries to figure out the auto exposure, auto white balance, auto focus, tries to detect if there are any people in the scene, you know, find, track the faces, focus on that, adjust all the lighting and take a picture. That function of just simple act of taking a picture, you know, I've been in this industry for a while, has gone from just taking simple amount of processing to a tremendous amount of processing to actually detect the face, find where the face is, track all the faces using AI and machine learning techniques. So every time you take a picture or every time you, you know, upsample a video or edit a video, every time you, you know, use TikTok or Reels, you're actually using tremendous amount of AI processing to make that video or image look good. And that is eating up at your battery life and eating at your, uh, at the, you know, at, at the amount of battery you have because the, the processing power needed uh, in terms of the CPU speed and the amount of memory that's uh, consumed and the amount of you know large language models that are actually stored on the phone that are exercised in any of these functions is actually tremendous. And uh, we've done some work, uh, you know, benchmarking some of these applications um, to see what kind of battery draw they have when the AI functions are turned on versus not, and it's huge. Uh, so I think it's very relevant, uh, even more so now that we need much better battery in these edge devices because of this, lots of the AI moving to the edge. Thanks. So maybe you can expand a bit on that, right? Because I think a lot of us maybe use AI, right? We use it on a computer, on our laptop, and, you know, we were just using, you know, going through the browser, right? And it won't be done on the device at this point. A lot is in the cloud. Right. So maybe why do you think this is changing? And why do you think this will come more onto the computer or on their phones? Yeah, so, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of people now still think of when they use AI as uh, as a cloud-based processing. Um, but actually, the trend that's happening a lot in the industry now is what's called edge AI, which means that the functions that used to be done on the cloud, uh, quite a bit of them are actually moving to the edge. Uh, of course, the cloud will always be there, and a lot of these functions will be hybrid. And one of the, and a few reasons why it moves to the cloud uh, I mean, these are in like no particular order. Uh, why it moves from the cloud to the edge? One of them is privacy. Um, many times, you know, you have pictures that you're taking, and you have, you know, use use your talking, your voice, and uh, and the information you're storing. You don't really want a lot of that on the cloud all the time. Um, so you really want the processing to be done locally, um, and uh, you and and that's a big care about for many people. Uh, so I think in those cases. Uh, you really want the processing locally on the edge device, which is either the phone or the computer. The second one actually is the cost. Uh, people don't quite realize how expensive cloud-based AI is. For example, if you used 
some of these generative AI programs, um, you know, for example, like DALI or, uh, or uh, you know, some of those ones where you actually create a picture. I know initially it starts, uh, I mean, even Adobe Photoshop with a generative fill, they start allowing you to create a few images um, at low resolution for free. But very quickly, it kicks into a subscription model where you have to start paying $10, $20 a month to use that function. And uh, if you start looking at all the applications that you actually want to use, very quickly, your bill is going to be higher than your phone bill. Um, but you already, in your hands, have a very powerful phone or a computer that's got you know heavy amount of processing, heavy amount of memories, and a lot of storage that you already paid for. So many people actually want to utilize that. Um, so the trend that we saw quite a bit at, uh, at uh, that we're seeing quite a bit in many consumer electronics is this concept of edge-based AI, where the AI functions are moving into the edge. But many times edge devices are, uh, are uh, you know, portable devices and they run on batteries. So those actually need uh, much better battery to make that to happen. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, the, one, of the, one of the products that actually won the best of the CES uh, show award uh, I just saw was this um, portable translator. Uh, it's actually a pretty amazing device. Uh, it does simultaneous translation into many, many different languages. As you speak, it comes to a pair of headsets, you put them on, and uh, somebody's talking Chinese or Japanese, and it translates simultaneously into English or any language you choose uh, with a little display on it. It's a beautiful device. You know, it's expensive. It's seven, eight hundred dollars, but it's completely battery operated. Uh, so you, those are the, like first of the few devices coming. So you can kind of think about, you know, how convenient it is to have a device like that when you go into meeting in different countries. So that's one of the reasons we feel that uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the AI functions are actually moving from the cloud to the edge and in some form a hybrid too. Raj, this is very interesting to me because I, um, you know, I. I had understood, of course, that cameras were getting smarter and our smartphones were getting smarter, but the processing power that's required for things like taking pictures even, which now we take for granted, we take for granted that we can take pictures quite easily on our phone, etc. The advent of this edge computing associated with the consumer electronics that we all use. My question is, why is battery life um, the important metric here? Would capacity or other performance metrics also come into play? Or is edge computing really um, taxing on the lifetime of the battery? And if so, what are the consequences to someone who's using a phone, for instance, if their battery life is reduced dramatically? Yeah, so um, maybe I'll add a little bit of color to, uh, let, let's just take phone as an example, you know, an area that I've been associated for a long time, almost uh, two to three decades now. So if you look at the smartphone, uh, it's in its current uh, instantiation that we all use, um, you know, the, the functionality in the smartphones has grown tremendously. You know, one of the things you notice, of course, is how much better the pictures are uh, that you take now. Um, but, you know, the displays have gotten much, much bigger. I mean, they used to be small displays. Now they're like, you know, huge minimum, uh, you know, four inches across kind of displays. And the display resolution has gone up from, uh, you know, VGA type resolution to now you have 2K displays in your hand. Um, and if you look at the number of cameras, it used to be one camera in the back. Now you have three to four cameras in the back and a couple of cameras in the front. 
um, you know, you integrate, we have integrated things like uh, GPS, you know, the maps is now in there and we integrated banking, you know, that's in there with the security. We all watch videos on these devices. Uh, we stream, you know, music, we stream videos, uh, you know, we play high performance games. So, so the phone as a device has grown tremendously in terms of both functionality and uh, utility. It's almost indispensable to many people. But what people don't realize is that to provide that kind of capability, the processors have gotten really, really fast. I mean, it used to be, you know, when we when I first started, it used to be a, you know, few hundred, uh, you know, uh, kilohertz to mega, few hundred megahertz process. Now we have between three and four gigahertz processors, and we have like six to eight of them, uh, you know, to run this. And uh, the memory used to be just a few megabytes to now, like you have gigabytes of memory storage. Um, and that is what has kind of enabled uh, this great functionality that we all are able to enjoy now. For example, when you take a picture now, many times you find that um, you, know, you want to take a perfect picture. You know, you, you have your kid blowing out your birthday candles and you used to struggle with, oh, shucks, I missed the shot, I missed the shot. Now you almost never miss a shot because almost every cell phone camera takes rapid bursts of pictures. And some people call, you know, the iPhone, it calls it live pictures or whatnot. But basically, it has taken so many pictures quickly that you're able to choose the one you want. Uh, that is tremendous amount of processing going on there. And the resolution of the cell cameras has also gone up a lot. Now, how did the battery keep up uh, when all these things went up? One of the thing, secrets that a lot of people don't realize is that the capacity of the battery, if you ask yourself how big was the battery before, how big is the battery now in terms of, let's say, milliamp hours, um, it's a... It's a gone up tremendously now you have like 5000 milliamp hour batteries in your phone and they started you know like just a couple of hundred milliamp hours sometime back so we actually did some work to analyze uh, what's the trend of how much the battery has grown and what we found that the battery is actually grown uh, about 11% kager year on year now that 11% kager in capacity uh, that came about mainly by increasing the size of the battery, actually. Uh, so what I mean by that is if you actually divided the, you know, the volume of the battery, um, the capacity of the battery by the volume, and you said how many watt hours per liter um, was there in the phones, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, and now how much is there now, you'll find that the watt hours per liter only grew 2 to 3%, which is actually stunning if you think about how fast the memories grew and processing grew and displays grew and cameras grew. So the battery technology has really hasn't kept up with the demands. Um, but now what has happened is you cannot make the phone any bigger because it doesn't, it's not convenient anymore. Now we're suddenly finding out that the bottleneck is the battery because so far it has been kind of uh, hidden behind the size of the battery growing. And what we've also done is we've got all the users to accept that they're going to charge the phone every night. Uh, and then they're going to start again next morning. Well, now with the AI applications coming, uh, what what we hear all our customers tell us is it's no longer possible to go a whole day, you know, charge uh, on single charge of the battery in your phone because of these new applications that are coming at such a big rate. So there's a lot of demand to actually make the battery better without making it bigger because making bigger is no longer quite an option in this phone. So that's why uh, the battery has become the bottleneck. Uh, now, and uh, that is a problem we are addressing at Innovex, where we actually make a much higher performance battery by replacing the graphite anode in the battery 
uh, with the silicon. Uh, in fact, we're material agnostic. We can use silicon oxide. We can use silicon carbide. But any of these silicon materials, when you put them inside a battery, they do hold a lot more lithium. So you get much higher uh, energy density and much higher capacity. But the problem is the silicon, when it absorbs lithium, swells up and becomes physically larger, um, you know, almost to the point it'll, it'll pop the back cover of your you know, phone off if you don't do something about it. So at Dynamics, we have a way now to actually constrain that swelling by a clever mechanical constraint. And there's a lot of excitement in the industry of uh, being able to provide that. So we think we can get to 20, 30% higher energy density than the current uh, current phones now. So Raj, what you, if I'm understanding them correctly, is that the ability to actually use silicon now instead of graphite uh, while curbing essentially the limitations that were previously associated with using silicon, which is the swelling, allows you to actually now improve the performance but keep the size the same, the size of the battery. Exactly, exactly. So, so you know, what we do is uh, is kind of interesting. What This company has been there for about, uh, about 16 years. Uh, mm-hmm. What we've done is uh, instead of just making batteries as traditionally been made, which is the jelly rolls, you know, you take an anode and a cathode and, you know, put the electrolyte and separate it in between and roll them. We, we cut the batteries, we cut the anodes and the cathodes into really thin strips. If you go to our webpage, you'll actually see some videos and so on. It's, it's much easier to watch it visually uh, than my explaining it. But we basically cut them into really thin strips using lasers. And then we, we make really thin batteries. And then we stack them into a 3D stack. Um, and then um, put a mechanical constraint around it so that now when the silicon tries to expand, it expands on the thin side, not on the thick side. So we're able to hold it down uh, with this constraint. So now we are able to get much higher energy density, but uh, but uh, um, not not cause the swelling problem that silicon does. And super exciting to see that. And we believe that uh, silicon actually can hold nine times more lithium than uh, than graphite. So as we continue to innovate in different kind of materials and different kind of battery cell architectures, we should be able to solve this problem uh, much more effectively than ever before. Thanks, Raj. And we had quite a few sessions in the past on silicon, and you know, also for the listeners, right? If you're curious, feel free to listen to some of the other approaches by other companies also in the silicon space. There's definitely quite of quite a few actors in the space. I have one question, maybe also for you, right? To just understand a bit better. Um, with a look at, you know, other technologies, right? Because I think we also can also see in the chat, right? People are really curious, and I think it's a very topical, very timely discussion, right, to be had about, you know, what do we do now if, you know, this edge computing and more AI, you know, comes to the devices um, from, from an energy density and, you know, battery performance standpoint. But how do you see it maybe also, you know, compared to other technologies, right? I know we have some very knowledgeable people also here in the audience um, on solid state. And of course, there's also other technologies, lithium metal, yeah. either in solid state or with liquid electrolytes. So just a bit of understanding. Why do you think like, for example, silicon is, you know, the way to go? And or is it just because you think it's one of the options? Just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, you know, we at, 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 at Innovix, we are actually material agnostic. So we, we, uh, we can put silicon in our architecture, we can put lithium metal in our architecture, we can put solid state electrolytes. Uh, we don't, we're not so um, limited to using any one kind of material. Uh, I was just talking about silicon uh, because that's the one that's actually uh, most uh, uh, popular right now. Uh, you know, most ne- closest, I would say, to production. Um, and, uh, 
you know, again, when I say silicon, I, I mean, I, like you said, I think your audience is pretty knowledgeable. These are not just, uh, I'm not talking about metallurgical silicon. These are some form of silicon compounds. Uh, we're using silicon oxide. Uh, we just made an announcement recently that we're, we're also working with another company that does uh, silicon carbide. Uh, so there's different forms of, uh, I would say, engineered silicon that many companies are developing. Uh, you kind of see lots of those new battery companies making different kind of materials. Uh, we work with uh, you know all of them to see how we can um, how we can uh, um, put different kind of materials. And what we found is that different materials have uh, different uh, advantages. For example, once you start talking about a battery uh, and a battery application in a device, it's not just energy density that's important. Like for example, in a phone, uh, one of the things that's important is energy density clearly but also fast charge. So people need these things to charge really, really fast. Uh, so rate is another big one. And the other one is, uh, you know, how many cycles does it go for? Like, you know, many times you buy a phone, you want to charge it every day. Let's say you keep the phone for three days, three years. Now you want something that goes for 800 to 1,000 cycles uh, before, you, uh, before you get to the, your next phone. So you need fast charge, you need high energy density, you need long cycle life. Um, so some materials can do one or the other, or some can do both, or some can do three. So what we do at Enovix is find different combination of, you know, silicon material and then cathode and then, you know, the different separators and then the various kinds of electrolyte mixes that go in between them to allow us to hit all those metrics that are kind of important. Um, so that's that's uh, that's the key innovation here, is to be able to find the right materials for the right uh, right uh, uh, solution. Well, thanks for that. Maybe just a quick follow up question, right? Because I find it fascinating on the on the cycle topic, right? Because also if you go on the website, right, and you can find some of the example cells there, right? Uh -huh. Example cells, and it says like you know, hundred percent active silicon, right? Uh -huh. my own cell. That's I mean, that's super impressive, right? And I mean, because you talk about cycles. Um, because I know, for example, Emprios, right, and as one of the other companies on, and we have seen them might being used maybe like in the drones from Airbus that's public, right, and, mm -hmm. and as far as I've seen, they've been quite limited on their cycle life, right, I don't know, 300 that's plus right. cycles, that's I don't right. know, but um, not in the thousands, so maybe I don't know if you can share anything on that, and maybe how can you achieve things, or whether maybe yeah, anything you can share would be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what we find is that, uh, you know, different kind of silicon materials have different uh, ability to cycle uh, and uh, we find that some kind of materials uh, you know like the silicon oxides and the silicon carbides we're able to put them in our, our battery architecture and go for long cycle life because what happens is in a lot, lot of times in some of the silicon materials they're what is called the roll-off problem so after a certain number of cycles uh, it just drops off like a cliff because the the silicon material kind of breaks down um, by come when the electrolyte goes out and you know it just falls apart. Um, we have been able to avoid that um, by finding the right combination of uh, of electrolytes and anodes and cathodes and uh, how we charge and discharge them. Uh, because the existing you know, for 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 us to be able to replace graphite with silicon batteries, you have to <clears throat> solve the cycle life issue. Like most of you now, if you go and buy a laptop, you'll see the requirements are actually thousand cycles, and most cell phone requirements are eight hundred cycles. So if you're only able to achieve 300, 400 cycles, you will, be, you will not be able to replace the graphite cells with, uh, with uh, silicon-based, anode-based cells. So it's very important that we're able to do that. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, the, 
you know, you know, the state we are in right now is we are now building a factory in Malaysia. I mean, I see some of the questions and where we are in the chat, where we're able to make these uh, batteries uh, using, you know, different uh, silicon materials, different anodes, different cathodes, different electrolyte combinations at different sizes and just sample to our customers. So um, this year we're building a factory and we will start sampling them like in uh, like in April timeframe. And our hope is that we will be in production in some smartphones and, you know, and so on uh, next year. Raj, uh, you had mentioned something very interesting in the beginning, which was that you have new data uh, from tests that you had conducted looking at the cycle life uh, between uh, batteries that are essentially being used to support edge AI applications versus non-edge AI applications. Are you able to share the delta um, of additional battery life or additional capacity or additional battery performance that's required to support edge versus non-edge applications? Yeah, absolutely. We looked at, uh, we looked at things like, uh, you know, we actually took uh, <clears throat> some of the current, um, you know, popular phones like, uh, Apple iPhone 15 or the Samsung Galaxy S23. And we we looked at things like, for example, let's say we wanted to, you know, record, um, you know, 8K video at 60 frames per second. And we said, what's the battery life used now with AI and without AI? For example, many times when you use AI in a video recording, it does, uh, you know, upsampling and it does the smoothing of the video and it does, you know, frame tracking and so on some of these use cases we find is almost two times as much uh, battery life is consumed uh, with AI versus without AI. Sometimes it's even three times. And uh, like if we looked at something like a stable diffusion and we ran that, and we also looked at something like a Llama 2, you know, the 7B version um, chatbot, and you see that that actually goes like five to six times more. So we, we kind of looked at various uh, applications and uh, hopefully we'll We'll try to, you know, produce a, a report or something that can be shared more broadly. But uh, it, clearly, um, anything that consumes more um, imaging or video or photo editing or video recording or video streaming uh, or mobile gaming um, consume a lot of battery life when you add uh, when you add AI on top of that uh, to actually improve the user experience. So many times people add AI in these applications to make the user experience better. So that actually consumes a lot. Like in many applications, like for example, Lensa or Facetune, you know, they're, they're just huge um, in terms of how much they take. Great, thanks so much, Raj. Maybe, you know, give you a quick break to get some water maybe, <laughs> I've been <laughs> long talking. Absolutely. And um, I will just kind of, in the meantime, want to encourage also everyone to, you know, put your questions in the chat or also for free to raise your hand. Um, because yeah, now we're going to go to the, Fun part where you can also ask your questions, and we already have a couple of them in the chat, so we'd appreciate that. But again, you know, we have quite a bit of time um, still, so we can you know use that to, to ask your questions. And from experience, in the end, it always fills up <laughs> rather quickly. So in the end, there always are questions we cannot get to. So if you want to make sure your question gets answered, feel free to put them into the chat now, so we can make sure we can address it before we close the room. So. Um, yeah, maybe we can go already now and invite also some people up. So essentially, if you want to ask your question directly, um, you know, which can be fun and you can ask a bit of follow-up there, feel free to raise your hand. You should find the option at the bottom. You have this um, hand raising option. I saw, for example, Helen earlier was trying to do that. If you have a question, we're welcome to do so again. Then we can also bring you up on stage, especially if you have 
submitted a question in the chat. Otherwise, of course, we can also ask the question on your behalf. So I think, um, yeah, so I think we're now going to start inviting some people of you to speak there as well. And um, But yeah, if you cannot come on stage, no problem at all, and we can ask the question on your behalf. Okay, Raj, are you back? Yes. Amazing, perfect. So yeah, there's a couple of them. So maybe we can go with the first one um, from CM. Don't have the full name there, but um, I think, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, he's talking about, you know, that all the need for battery power, but he's asking for some milestones and confidence. I know we spoke about this earlier here today. We're not talking about anything future, you know, look into the future, especially not anything financial related. But I guess if there's anything you want to share, Raj, on maybe on the journey as well, people are always curious about the journey, right? On, um, yeah. If there's anything you can share, that'd be great. Absolutely. So, you know, this company <clears throat> has been around for 16 years and the founders uh, have been working on trying to make better batteries for a long time. I took over the CEO about a year ago, and uh, <clears throat> what we've done so far is to be able to make uh, samples of these high energy density batteries in our uh, Fremont uh, facility, which is a small, maybe more like a pilot facility, and we were able to give it to the customers, and we were able to validate the high energy density that we were able to offer, and also the, the quality of the battery and all the tests and the safety that have to be done. So we feel pretty good about the about the technology and the customers like it too. Uh, now the next challenge is to be able to make them at scale. Like when I scale, I mean millions of batteries. So to do that, we need a factory that can produce uh, at that rate. And we've, um, you know, because of the unique way we make these batteries, we have to first make the machines that make the battery and then make the battery, right? If it makes sense. Because you, these are not standard machines <clears throat> that actually cut the electrodes using lasers. So we've now got those machines made uh, and they're in different stages of, uh, of what we call factory acceptance, which means um, uh, we like the machines, they're working well, the speed is good and the yields are good and so on. And we expect to complete that part uh, early this year. And uh, the factory where we're gonna put these machines is actually in Malaysia. Uh, we have um, very good uh, support from the Malaysian government and we were able to hire a good team there. So we're actually building the factory in Malaysia now. And that factory, we expect to produce, uh, you know, samples from that factory, you know, in April, May timeframe. And those we expect to give it to our customers. And once they, that's another big milestone to be able to give uh, actual samples from the, from the manufacturing, the high volume manufacturing factory. And it typically takes our customers nine months to 12 months, depending upon what stage they are in to validate that. So our expectation is that, uh, you know, next year, later part of next year, we should be able to, have batteries in in products. Uh, that's kind of the journey we're on now. It's a good question there to get some clarity on that. Suraj, so very curious actually. So the the next big milestones, of course, the serial production. So is there a timeline for when um, you think that you would have this uh, factory up and running? Yeah, um, you know, there's there's two stages in making a factory. You know, one uh, stage is um, you know getting what is called factory acceptance test. That means that all the machines that we are ordered, we have to <clears throat> accept them from the vendor and tell them, hey, it looks good. We'd like to take them, and that should happen in the next couple of months. And then we put the machines in the site in Malaysia, and there's something called site acceptance where we basically say, okay, the machines are good. They're on our site. They're working well. And that one is in the April timeframe. Um, I guess two to three months from now. And then we start producing samples. Uh, so, you know, our expectation is that the samples will come out uh, in April, and those are the ones that we will give to our customers. But then as the customers start using them and testing them, they give us more feedback, what they like, what they want us to improve, and so on. 
and we continue to improve our factories to run to higher speed, better quality, and so on. That goes on through this year. So by end of this year, we should be in like high volume capability. Meanwhile, the customers also should be, you know, qualifying the batteries and making sure they're working well in their phones or laptops or you know other IoT devices wherever they use them. And then next year is when we expect to be in production. So that's kind of the journey. That's great. Thanks. And maybe just one quick for clarification. I think you already touched on it a bit, but because you just mentioned Malaysia, right? And I'm, I'm curious, is there like any specific reasons? Because are people I know people going to all kinds of different regions for <laughs> scale up manufacturing, but is there anything you can share on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, what we found was that uh, most of the material that we use uh, in making of this factory in batteries, you know, many of the suppliers are in the Asia region, you know, in Korea, in China, in Japan, and, and so on. Uh, and then many of the customers of ours who actually want to take these batteries and put them into products are also in that part of the world. Manufacturing is quite a bit there. So it made sense for us to have the factory there rather than you know move all the materials here, make the batteries and ship all the materials back the other way. Uh, that is one reason we put it in Asia. The other one is the way we make the batteries is a little bit um, also people intensive because these are mechanically constructed batteries. I mean, there's machines running, but they're still people operating the machines and so on. Um, and that kind of talent of high volume manufacturing, um, you know, has been set up in Malaysia for many, many years in the chip industry, for example. Uh, I came from Micron and Micron had a big factory there making SSDs and my chief operating officer, Ajay, he came from uh, AMD. AMD had a large number of factories there. Intel had factories. So for those in the chip space, they're quite familiar with Malaysia as a, as a very, um, you know, friendly and uh, talent, a lot of talent in manufacturing that has been set up. So it made sense for us to to be there. Raj, I'm seeing quite a few questions in the chat. So uh, I guess we'll go to the next question. Um, the next question is from CM. I think we can all agree there's oh, a skip. more. So we already had that oh. one. So I think we can go to the next one. Ah, that's right. To Gary. Gary's question, what are the Evanox patents and innovations? Yeah, so we, we have, uh, you know, now in the company, I think close to 400 patents, uh, you know, over the last 16 years that we've done. And we recently we acquired another company that does coating and makes graphite batteries uh, called RoadJD, who's also part of our company now. Um, we have a, a very strong patent portfolio on, uh, on uh, you know, the way we construct the battery and the materials that we choose and how we make them safely and uh, the idea of laser patterning electrodes and stacking them together and putting them into constraints and every aspect of our manufacturing technology we have patented quite a bit so we are pretty we feel very good about uh, the patent portfolio of the company great thanks and then maybe for the next one um so then here ian was asking as i understand lasers create patterns and electrodes what are these patterns for yeah, so maybe I didn't explain that very well. So basically what we do is we, we buy, um, um, you know, electrode in, uh, electrodes in rolls. Uh, you know, these are big rolls that come out. And, uh, you know, this cathode, as you know, is a metal. And then we coat the cathode, coat, you know, lithium and all that on top of that. Similarly, silicon comes, you know, in a, in a metal strip on which we coat the silicon anode. So now we have these big rolls of electrodes. We, we use lasers to make patterns on the electrodes so that they're really thin strips. Uh, that's the pattern. So then we punch the strips out. So basically, since we're making very thin, small batteries, the patterns are actually, each pattern on top of a roll is a very thin electrode. Uh, and then we punch that electrode out, and then we put that together. So if you actually 
there's some videos on our website if you see i think it'll kind of make it very clear how that works the patterns are basically a little electrodes that we cut out of a big electrode roll that makes sense yeah raj just to, just to follow up on that so the idea that they're they're cut into these very thin electrodes uh, what characteristic does that allow or optimize for in terms of performance and especially in terms of how it can prevent some of the mechanical right. issues <clears throat> right so so let me let me answer it this way if you didn't uh, cut it into thin electrodes and if you just basically took a a a, a, a big electrode electrolyte electrode and you just stack them or you put them in a jelly roll um then what happens is um, you now have uh, silicon you know instead of graphite and when when silicon when you charge it when you put lithium and silicon it starts swelling up and it becomes really big so uh, and it pushes on the flat surface and uh, you need almost uh, 2000 pounds of force to stop it from uh, not swelling but when you cut them into really thin electrodes like this and you st- stack them on the side now when the silicon expands it pushes on the thin side um because they're all like really thin electrodes stacked on the side so now we only need 200 pounds of force to hold it so basically we're able to put a you know a steel constraint and hold it down so the idea of cutting them into small electrodes is to <clears throat> be able to reduce the um amount of force that we need to apply uh, to hold it from swelling thanks for sharing that and then next going for the next question is from mark can you talk about cost for these batteries and a bit more about how you engineer the silicon for example yeah <clears throat> the cost of the battery you know, firstly we don't engineer the silicon we actually buy the silicon from uh, from uh, silicon oxide you know silicon carbide various forms of silicon from people who make silicon uh, materials um and then we you know as i mentioned we cut them into little strips uh, or little electrodes uh, to put them together that's the engineering part is actually cutting them to strips and putting it together uh, uh you know the cost of any battery is you know predominantly dominated by the material cost i mean 60% of the battery is actually material cost maybe sometimes even more um we do add a little bit more cost uh, because of the constraints we put in um but over time as we get to scale uh these are these the, we should be extremely competitive in terms of price um now we're not going to be the cheapest battery clearly what we're going after is higher energy density high performance battery uh and uh and uh, most of our customers are comfortable paying the premium for that thank you so much raj um in terms of our next question mariano is asking it seems like the uh you know battery production it seems like they are more tailored or custom projects so how do you scale such a, a model yeah it's a really good question uh we you know what we find is that um, in uh, what we are making are custom batteries right but if you think about markets like smartphones markets like laptops markets like watches they're all custom batteries i mean because the shape of the battery is dictated by the shape of the device i mean people decide hey i want to make a phone like this i want a battery this size so you pretty much have to make a custom battery in high volume batteries they're not you know they're not cylindrical batteries you know they're not uh, aaa batteries you know so but that's actually where a lot of our patented technology is that we are able to build these machines that we can quickly reconfigure to actually make a different size batteries so that's actually the the innovation of the company is to be able to scale that um, so we do have the capability to make different size batteries very quickly okay thanks and then for the next question uh, we have here is 
from Greg. Would you update us on the state of FAT or zones two and three? Ah, yeah, it looks like uh, you know there's a lot more, lot more details about the company. Absolutely, it's uh, it's going well, uh, and uh, um, it's in the you know it is on schedule, and uh, I think we gave out the schedule of what we expect to do, and uh, we will we will uh, put it out uh, you know as and when those are done. They're right going going quite well right now. And of course, anyone from the audience, if you have a follow up question to your question, raise your hand. We'll bring you up to the stage, or feel free to ask it in the chat. Um, the next question is from O, who is asking, you know, about a comparison uh, your, with your battery compared to the solid state. So how much better or how much worse is your battery compared to a solid state? Yeah, I mean, look, as I mentioned, we are a battery manufacturer. We are material, we are material agnostic. So, for example, if the solid state electrolytes become real and close to production, we can put that inside our battery. Uh, but, you know, it's still, that's not what we are focused on right now because we're going after consumer batteries. Uh, consumer markets still use liquid electrolytes and not solid state. Um, so it's not so much of a comparison with solid state, but whenever solid state batteries are ready, we can also use them in our material, you know, in, our, in the way we make batteries. That's more of a material versus a battery comparison. Great. So it's really about the integration, right? I kind of what you're describing that's, there. That's right. Um, so I'm not sure. Do we already have Helen yet or not yet? Right. I think. Yes, not yet. So she's asking: Are there growing concerns around restrictions for transporting lithium-based goods, considering conflicts around the Red Sea that breakflow technology solves? I'm sorry, I didn't get that question very well. Where is that? Let me just go to see it. Just looking for transport <laughs> conflicts, I guess, more general, right? How conflicts maybe influence it on a, on a transport okay. perspective. Yeah, uh, not 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 really. I think uh, mainly um, Red Sea that brake flow technology solves. I'm not quite sure. Well, let me say this way. Um, you know, there are always uh, restrictions on how you can transport lithium-based ones. Um, you know, I'm not quite familiar with what the Red Sea part is, um, but the brake flow technology solves. A problem of the batteries being more safe. So, for example, if you were to go, um, you know, have a have a mechanical short inside the battery for some reason, uh, we have a technology called brake load that uh, that actually makes our battery much safer because it actually makes it um, not um, go off into thermal runway um, by providing an alternate path for the current, so that uh, so that uh, the battery doesn't go and become unsafe. Um, so clearly, that's a that that helps battery be safe, not just in transportation, but any kind of mechanical uh, shorts that might happen. Thanks, Maya. So we're seeing some questions, uh, Raj, around um, some of your competitors. Are yeah. there any any type of solutions like yours, which is really um, innovation on the manufacturing side and and also on the mechanical support for the batteries that are out there? Uh, no, the main competition uh, we have right now uh, is mainly from uh, existing graphite battery suppliers, um, and they are now, you know, in, in order to increase energy density, adding a small percentage of silicon on top of graphite, uh, you know, so that they can the silicon can absorb more lithium. 
but we've only seen that in the few you know kind of single digit percentages because if you add more than that <clears throat> the silicon swells again and you have the same problem that you got to solve uh, we are using 100% active silicon because we can handle that swelling so the main competition we're seeing is really existing graphite batteries is a little bit of silicon and of course they'll continue to get better um, but to really get to the type of energy density increases we're talking about uh, we need a totally new way of manufacturing as we are doing it Great, thanks and there was also a question about ev right like any up there's an ev <laughs> is this an application which would make sense something you'd be curious about or looking into or maybe yeah that's a great question actually yeah. you know what we are finding in ev is that uh, yes energy density is important people want to go much farther on one charge uh, but more than that uh, the bigger question uh, on ev is really how quickly can you charge because you know as if you guys have an ev when you drive, you know, this is whole, um, more and more EV stations are coming up where you can charge this coming up, where you can charge your battery in the car quickly. But the quickly part is not there yet because it still takes, you know, hours to charge your battery fully. And one of the main reasons is when you start charging an EV battery really fast, it heats up quite a bit. So that's the problem. What we found is an interesting um, advantage our battery has is that it's able to dissipate the heat much, much faster than a conventional wound cell because of the way we constructed the electrodes. And there's, a, there's some EV companies who are very interested in that. So we are actually working with a couple of companies to um, you know, really prove out that advantage. Um, but we're not building a factory for EV size manufacturing right now. And uh, we are focused on consumer. Uh, so that could be something in the future. But we, we think you know, we could potentially license this technology to somebody who's making EV batteries once it's proven. So definitely you know, some good interest there. Um, but manufacturing we first solving the consumer problem. So Raj, on that note, uh, in terms of the dissip um, heat dissipation, uh, Mariano is asking what cooling systems are necessary to maintain optimal operating temperatures. Now, I'm not sure, Mariano, if Mariano means in the manufacturing line or uh, if it's in an actual consumer uh, device. We, we don't use any coolings. We don't need any cooling systems. In manufacturing, we don't need any cooling systems. I mean, the way we manufacture is pretty straightforward. Um, so, we're, I mean, we don't need any cooling. And the whole idea of, you know, the fact that we can, uh, you know, get out of the heat quickly uh, is really the um, reason um, why people want to use our battery so they don't need these uh, cooling systems. Yeah, there, there's some there's some questions on uh, Group 14, as, as you're saying. Um, as you see in the chat, uh, I probably should explain that. So Group 14 is a great company that produces silicon carbide. And uh, we are able to now, we announced a collaboration with them where we, we want to use, you know, Group 14 material as one of the options in the batteries that we make. Instead of silicon oxide, we can use silicon carbide. Um, other people have used Group 14 material in uh, graphite batteries, but a small percentage. The advantage we have is we can use 100% of Group 14 material for the silicon anode. And that's where we are able to really um, get that uh, advantage of using that type material. Again, as I mentioned, different materials give different advantages um, in terms of fast charge, you know, cycle life and energy density and so on. And this is one of the material stacks that we're using. Again, the, 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 the collaboration was that unlike previously seen in consumer where silicon carbide has been used in small percentages, we are able to use it 100% and stop it from swelling with our uh, with our innovative way of innovative way of uh, 
constructing the battery. Great, thanks. Yeah. And also, I think that's helpful context for others and, again, explains your focus, right? And maybe just one quick question. I'm not sure if you can share much on the silicon oxide, what kind of silicon oxides there are, because, of course, there's a range, and I, I spent my PhD a bit on that, so I'm curious. I'm not sure if you can share anything, because, I mean, the, the things I know is, right, so some of them, I mean, if you have high oxidation state, it's more stable, right, but the capacity drops and other vice versa, right? So I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, you, I'm not, I mean you, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but uh, there are some material science engineers in my company. But the way I understood is that um, um, different uh, silicon-based compounds have different properties, and the trick is to match the right electrolyte and the right cathode and the right voltages um, so that you're able to get the cycle life and the energy density and the fast charge all at the same time. Um, but uh, but I think uh, maybe someone from my team can answer more precisely to you and uh, we can set up that uh, that conversation with our PhDs in the company. I'm afraid I'm a little bit beyond my depth to be able to answer that deep. Absolutely fine. I think it would be very, imp- I mean, yeah. be very impressive if you would know all of these details at this point. <laughs> um, but I appreciate maybe I have to follow up chat later Certainly. on. Certainly. There's someone else asking, you might have a bit of a better idea here of agility line. I'm not sure if yeah. that speaks to you. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, what, what, so um, what happens in this, uh, maybe for the rest of the audience who's not that familiar, um, you know, we, I think there is a question about how do you scale, how do you make different shape batteries? One of the key things that we found out in this battery manufacturing is that when we go talk to our customers, different markets need different size batteries. I mean, we, we make rectangular batteries. Um, but still people want, for example, different X dimension, Y dimension, and Z dimension of the battery based on where it's going. If it's going into a phone, they want a certain size battery. If it's going into a you know, watch, they want a different size battery. So we, we came up with this line, which we call the agility line, to distinguish it from the high volume manufacturing line, which has the ability to make different sized cells very quickly. So you could, for example, we could reconfigure that line to make a watch battery and uh, X number of hours later, we could reconfigure that line to make a cell phone battery uh, or a laptop battery. Uh, That is the first line we are building uh, because we want to be able to sample these batteries to many customers. And that is the agility line. I think the question is about, uh, um, you know, will you be producing 1.5 batteries on agility line? I'm not sure what the 1.5 is. Probably that's you know a question about our recipe that we're using. But our agility line will produce, um, you know, is independent of the of what recipe we use. And uh, right now we're using a recipe called EX1. Then we'll be using uh, you know EX1.5, and then we'll be using EX2. And absolutely yes, the question to the answer is we will our agility line will produce EX1.5, and you can also produce EX1 based on the customer interest and the different uh, different uh, markets we're trying to serve. Suraj, maybe you can help me out here with this question from Greg. What is the time, time frame to move from Gen 1.5 to Gen 2? Is this on the agility line, the EX 1.5, or is this related more to uh, different spec batteries? Uh, yeah, I, I assume this is about the, I assume the question is about our recipe, which is the EX 1.5 to EX 2. Um, you know, we, I think, as I mentioned, I think some of my calls, maybe some people listen to my earnings calls and so on. Um, EX 1.5, you know, is, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we have EX 1 today. 
And we talked about EX2 as something that we'll make by end of the year. Uh, EX1.5 is something uh, we're working on that we can sample, you know, middle of the year uh, based on the different requirements of the customer. So what are the requirements? The requirements that we are focused on are energy density, cycle life, and fast charge. And uh, we have various customers asking for different combination of those. And uh, we are addressing a particular set of that with EX1.5. Typically, we can go from EX1.5 to, you know, EX2, I would say, in six months. Uh, so from, from where we are looking at right now. But we are working on parallel in both of those. Maybe one question here also is, how long does a customer usually take to testing and verify the battery before placing an order, right? So I think, not sure if we can yeah. say anything on that. Yeah, typically, typically in this market, um, you know, is uh, between nine and 12 months uh, based on uh, what product it is. Like laptops, for example, will take a lot longer. Um, some IoT devices can take shorter. Cell phones are probably somewhere in between. Um, but the way this works is as soon as we have samples, we give them and they can do some amount of testing ahead of time. Like they can test safety, they can test uh, drop tests and things like that. Um, but things like uh, cycle life testing, for example, takes longer because if you want to test if something is going to 800 cycles or 1,000 cycles, they have to cycle the battery 800 to 1,000 times, and that takes X number of months. So it varies based on the application, but I would say between 9 and 12 months is probably what uh, we are seeing in these uh, consumer applications. And Raj, are they ever sharing their results back with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are very, uh, very close collaborations. You know, we have weekly meetings, we have monthly meetings, and um, they give us the results of where they, what they're seeing, and we give them results of what, how it is. And, you know, the other thing you got to remember is that when you make batteries like this, you have to, you have to uh, test them in the application. Like, for example, you have to take the battery, put it inside a phone and see how it cycles, not just cycle it in a, in a, in a vacuum, you know? So at, actually at CES, we showed a, uh, a smartphone, uh, we removed the existing battery and put our battery in there and, and have it boot and function. And we showed an action camera where we removed the battery and put our battery in there. So we're doing a lot of testing uh, at system level so that it actually functions in the end application it's supposed to. To be able to do that, you have to collaborate closely with the customers to see how to put them. So it's a very collaborative development process. So I I actually have a, a follow-up question, and this is not in the chat, but it's related to testing, which is because you have, uh, you know, the agility line and you also have the ability to reconfigure your uh, equipment to be able to manufacture in uh, mass uh, quite a lot of different battery uh, architectures with different materials and so on. Do you need different test protocols for each of these applications? And would you would the onus be on you to figure out these test protocols? Or does X client come and say, I want you to run these test protocols and provide a report card with all of these metrics before I go on and I do my own tests? Uh, yeah, that's, that's such a great question, really, um, because uh, that is the heart of the matter of, uh, of evolving into a high volume production company is to really understand how the battery will get used in the end product and uh, understand from that how it needs to be tested before it goes into the end product. So we actually have test protocols from all our key customers and we test that metrics before we sample them. And then of course they will do a few other tests which are proprietary to them uh, and then they give us the feedback. But clearly our goal has been to collect a lot. I mean, we now have a large repository 
of tests for different applications, like a phone gets tested differently versus a laptop gets tested differently. And uh, and the good news is, you know, I, I've, you know, I have very strong relationships with the key people at many of these companies because I've been in the industry for a long time. So after joining the company, I was able to visit these customers and get from them uh, how they test the batteries, what they expect to happen, uh, so that we are able to now put that into our testing methodology and before we sample them. So that's really a key aspect of uh, of how we make sure that what we give them uh, will meet their requirements and also go to production quickly. Because if you don't test it like how they test and give it to them and then you find out, oh, they tested it this way, it didn't quite work, then you have to go back and test it again and give it to them one more time and it takes it, it eats into time. Thanks. I think there's a couple of more questions. We want to go there. And I think there's one also... Another one from Mariano was asking a bit more. He was from Malaysia, right? Kind of the most important aspects. And you touched a bit on it, but I guess anything else you can share? I mean, I think you've already mentioned the government support and some yeah. of your links, some of your team experience, but yeah. Yeah, really, I think government support, uh, the ability to be able to hire strong talent uh, that is experienced in manufacturing, um, the fact that it is close to our supply base and also close to our customer base. Um, you know, English-speaking country, it's uh, much easier for us to manage. Um, we have experience there, both uh, myself and uh, and uh, and my CEO. Um, so we were able to very quickly hire a lot of people, uh, and we were able to find a good partner who had some, um, some facility available instead of you know breaking ground and building from scratch. We were able to quickly take over that building and then uh, you know turn it into a battery factory and uh, and move uh, move some of our machines there. Uh, in fact, you know, just recently, the Prime Minister of Malaysia came to Fremont, and uh, I came to the Bay Area, and uh, you know, we were invited to meet with them, and we were in the elite company of, I think, uh, you know, Google and TikTok and us. So we have a lot of uh, interest from the Malaysian government in seeing us succeed. Great, thanks. And maybe I can. There's a couple of questions now, which are very, as you said, very knowledgeable listeners, which is fantastic, and they know a lot about you know your plans and probably listen to what you're saying very carefully. Um, Maybe you can batch them a bit together, right? I think it's a bit more, I guess, about the scale-up. Again, there's some numbers in there which probably make more sense to you around these different steps, but I guess, I don't know if you maybe can share a bit on that um, from manufacturing, I guess, here for, you know, looking at expansion. And again, I know you cannot be a talk future, uh, especially here on the financial side. So I guess, is there anything you can share on the upcoming plans and these different lines? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, as I mentioned, um, you know, just continuing to communicate what I've communicated before, which is uh, the 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 facility we have uh, can hold up to four lines, and uh, we put uh, one line in. We are working on when to make the next line, and uh, you know, uh, we haven't talked about where the next facility would be, uh, but clearly we have the opportunity to uh, expand uh, in Malaysia if you wanted to. Um, we have access to some more uh, space there with our partner. Um, but really, we are looking to make sure that the first one we build goes well and we're able to make good samples, give it to customers, get it qualified uh, before we start expanding more and more. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, up, you know, the demand is there, right? I mean, you know, 1,200 million smartphones sold a year, you know, two to 300, you know, million laptops. Each of them takes three to four batteries. So there's a huge uh, appetite uh, because of what I talked about in the beginning of the AI applications coming to the edge. Um, so it's really uh, time and uh, and making sure we do everything correctly and we do everything at scale. We get the customers what they need. So it's just a um, 
process that we're going through. And Raj, it seems like there is uh, some anxiety here um, around how are we going to actually service all of these different edge devices, the smartphones, the laptops. When I say anxiety, I mean just from the, the general public, uh, knowing that we have to scale up so many different new types of innovations on the battery side, on the manufacturing side, etc. This is more of a general question, and I see some, some of these ideas being asked in the, in the chat. Uh, directly or indirectly, but um, what are your thoughts on uh, consumer electronic companies, uh, you know, having a limited number of suppliers or choices that are able to service these new types of applications or these new types of manufacturing practices for the a AI edge devices? You talk about in terms of batteries, or in terms of talking about just consumer electronic device itself. Just the batteries for the consumer electronics. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, I think when I took over as CEO, uh, I um, I mentioned in some of my earnings calls that we we were sampling batteries to hundreds of customers. There's a couple of hundred customers. I think the, the company had sampled over its time, all kinds of different applications. Um, a few months ago, um, you know, uh, you know, I made a decision to focus on a few customers that can ship a high volume first and then expand into broader markets exactly for the point you're making because if you go after every single consumer electronics device you know from a speaker to headset to a smartphone to a laptop to any iot device there are so many different form factors so many different products it's going to be really difficult for an early stage company to address all of that at the same time uh, mm -hmm. what i felt was most important is to actually adopt a little bit more of a vertical strategy, which means we go after a few vertical segments that drive a lot of volume first. And once we prove out the technology, build our factory, we can then take that battery and sell it horizontally into a bunch of other markets. And the few verticals that we picked were smartphones, you know, computers or laptops, and uh, you know, some maybe wearable devices after that, because those drive a lot of volume in just a few form factors. Uh, for example, a, a model of a phone could ship you know, one and a half to two million units in just one phone model. So we could make one battery that could ship a couple of million. If we made, you know, three or four models, we could ship quickly, get to shipping multiple millions. And that gets the factory working and we understand what's going on. Then we can figure out how to make the next model and the next model. That's why the strategy was to make the agility line where we sample different batteries, but we go to high volume production in a few and then slowly expand to different shapes. Make sense? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Great, thanks. And yeah, I'm also looking a bit of time and want to make sure we can still address a bunch of the questions we have here. We also have one um, from Celine. She's asking, how big is the mark today? And then 2033 in gigawatt hours for silicon unnotes. Not sure if there's anything you can share on that. Yeah, we. I don't look at the market as much on gigawatt hours. Uh, I look at it more in terms of number of units because we're not trying to make huge batteries. We're trying to make smaller batteries that have a lot of potential. Um, like I said, I think, you know, 2023, 1,200 million smartphones, you know, each of them has a three, 400 milliamp hour battery. I mean, sorry, 3,000, 4,000 milliamp hour battery. I would say, you know, a couple of hundred, 200 to 300 smartphone uh, computers, each of them has three of those batteries. So you can kind of calculate from that. Uh, this quite a bit. But I do see one thing, um, which is, I, of course, EVs is a huge market. 
um, you know, as silicon anode goes there, I think that that dwarfs everything. Like I read somewhere, one car has enough needs enough battery for like ten thousand phones. So uh, that by far is largest market. Um, but I do think that the market is moving more and more towards silicon anodes from graphite because graphite seems to have kind of run its course in how much energy density it can pack. So I wouldn't be surprised if in time more and more of the market, you know, just becomes silicon anodes rather than graphite. Um. Raj, I'm seeing here a couple of questions and I'm reading through. It seems like exactly what you said, which is people are wondering about the applicability of your innovation to different um, applications that would require batteries like EVs. Uh, you had touched on that, but there's another question related to ESS, uh, just uh, stationary energy storage. Yeah. Um, so, of course, right now you're focused on consumer electronics. Beyond that, I, I guess people are asking, can this be applied to these different applications? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that the applicability of the technology is in anywhere where there's a lithium-ion battery. There's really no, uh, you know, most, most of the applications it can be used. I think the most important thing for a small company like us who are just getting to production is, is focus, right? I mean, if you go after all these markets, you're going to get distracted and uh, and not be able to do one thing well. So that's why, you know, we are focused on consumer first. But a lot of other markets, we have opportunities to expand into that through licensing, through partnering, uh, through teaming up with other people and so on. Um, you know, again, I think one thing to keep in mind is, you know, when you're running a business, it's important to understand the gross margin profile. Um, the gross margins for batteries are much higher in consumer electronic devices than, than EVs or ESS, uh, just the nature of it. Um, you know, for example, if you go into a smartphone, you know, a thousand dollar smartphone. Let's say six hundred dollars for the for the all the electronics in there, bill of material. The battery is typically you know eight dollars or something, and you can sell it for ten, twelve, and still get a very good, nice premium and good margin uh, because you're such a small piece of the total of bill of material. So that's kind of important in how we choose these markets. You have to choose the right business. ESS, for example, is much much tougher to get margin. Well, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I've been always been amazed by the, you know, like even the, you know, from the, um, if you look at the batteries for your headphones, air, airports, and things like that. I mean, there's definitely some interesting margins in that area, okay. um, and costs. And I think another topic is, and I'm not sure if we can speak to that, right? And because I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what's what's public, but there's quite a few questions on customers, right? And I'm not sure if because you mentioned also this new strategy and focusing on a few more on on a few, right? Very selective ones. Are there any ones you can share, maybe also from the history from the company, or it's not something you can share at this point? Uh, there, there was an earnings call, I think, second quarter of this year, where I mentioned that uh, we are we got permission from a few key smartphone OEMs that uh, that uh, that we are that we can announce that we are working with them. Uh, we were working. We, I think um, Vivo was one of them, Oppo was one of them, Xiaomi was one of them, Lenovo was one of them. But so, but it's fair to say that uh, in the history of this company. We've sampled to many, many customers, and they're all in different stages of validation. Um, you know, in terms of announcement of when uh, battery is going to be in a phone or in a laptop or whatnot, typically in consumer electronics, those announcements come, you know, pretty close to production because people don't announce a year before or a year and a half before that, hey, we are using this one, right? They might let you say we're working with them, but typically those come much closer to production. But I can That's tell great. you this much, the interest is there from almost every consumer electronics company. You know, we just have to pick and choose 
the ones we can you know satisfy the requirements uh, very well and get few to high volume production before we expand. It's a valid point, right? Because we definitely know also, I mean, the process, right, for in other sectors where, you know, people would get um, all kinds of purchase orders, but then you have to fulfill them, right? And you have to be able to exactly. hit all the KPIs at the right price point. And as you say, that, you know, that's, that's you know, you want to be smart about it. you want to have it, a factory that can produce at scale. I mean, that's the other thing you have to balance. <laughs> exactly. And there's, but I think there's an interesting question. I'm actually curious about myself because I know a bit of the timelines, right? Like, in, especially in automotive, from a battery, how long it takes, you know, to get it into the process. And but the nice thing about an automotive, you have quite a long development cycle, right? Eight years, etc. Right, where you to get your next vehicle, so you have a bit of time. I would assume, you know, smartphone market being a bit more faster. So maybe you can talk a bit about the development cycles and how long does it take, right, to to be integrated, tested, but also how quick, you know, from idea to real product um, might be required or is possible because, of course, it allows quicker iteration if it works. Yeah, I mean, you know, one way to think about it is if you look at the smartphone market, it's an existing market, phones are shipping and there's graphite batteries in them, right? So what we need to do is to replace that battery with a silicon uh, or newer material battery that's got higher energy density. So in that sense, the problem is a little bit more defined, right? So you know exactly the space you need to go into. It's a two-terminal device. You need to work with the customers to make it work. But one thing that's important is safety is very important. So people have to test the battery. They have to cycle it for X number of cycles to make sure it works. They got to test energy density. They got to make sure it's working well with the power management system. They got to make sure, you know, the modems, the processors, everything works well with them. So, you know, like I said, from the time we get the samples to time to get to fully qualified is typically nine months to nine to 12 months, uh, much faster than cars, but it's not like two to three months, you know. That's great. Thank you. Um, I think uh, we we can take one more one more question here, uh, looking at time. But we have a few few questions related to the full life cycle of a smartphone, essentially from the time of uh, conception of a of a sorry from the time of production for all of the components of the smartphone to the time it goes to market. So uh, with that timeline, how far in advance would your batteries need to be produced in order to land in one of those smartphones? If this is something that you can share. Yeah, exactly. Like I was saying, I think typically it's nine to 12 months, right? So we have to sample them nine to 12 months ahead of time and they will do the testing. They will, you know, meanwhile, they'll be choosing, you know, what kind of display they're going to use, you know, what kind of cameras they're going to use, you know, what kind of processor will they put in? what power management systems goes in there and so on. So all those things move parallelly. And uh, many times they qualify a battery in something like a technology evaluation platform where they make sure everything is okay. And then they give us the exact size and dimensions that they want and we give them samples in that. Then they put it in a test phone, they test it, they validate it. And by the time they're ready to go to production, it's anywhere between nine and 12 months. Uh, okay, so Raj, you're saying including you being ready to essentially manufacture their products and everything, this this would be nine to twelve months, not just the testing and validation. Okay, that's correct. That's correct. That's correct. So 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 the way it works is as soon as you get to make samples, you give it to them, and meanwhile we're working on our production side, they're working on their development side, and then by the time both come together, it could be nine to twelve months. Okay. Great, thanks, and I think. Uh... Also, uh, we're probably going to wrap it up soon. So if you have any urgent question, now's a good time to bring it in because we're going to wrap up the room in the next five to eight minutes or so. Um, 
and just to kind of quickly, yeah, there's a few questions. One is, and I think, yeah, maybe David can even connect some of them because I think yeah, one was on supply chains, um, you know, looking at, you know, cathode being a big issue and, um, you know, how readily are they available, right? Because we now got an agreement with Group 14 on the silicon side, on the Android side. But um, yeah, what's about the cathode? Maybe if you can quickly share something and then I'll ask the second question from Salim. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we are also working with uh, multiple cathodes, not just one. Um, and uh, there's multiple suppliers that provide cathodes. I mean, we're not buying a lot of materials still because we're still an early stage company and we're uh, mostly doing testing and sampling. So it hasn't been so much of a concern for us in terms of getting uh, material. Um, but I also, in general, think that the amount of material we need for small batteries is very small compared to the material needed for the big EVs. So, um, and the margin profile is much better. So, uh, so far I'm not seeing any real issues in uh, in the supply chain side, but it's something we, we closely keep track and we have multiple sources and we make sure we don't get into that issue, so. Thanks, yeah, I mean, I agree on the volume, right? It's definitely smaller if you go into yeah. uh, consumer electronics. Okay. And then there was also a question from Celine about um, key market trends regulations, you know, see relative to market size now in 10 years? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I, I would say the need for energy density uh, is only going to keep going up, uh, is my my prediction, because, you know, we're just at the beginning, you know, kind of tying back that conversation to where we started. We're just at the beginning of the edge-based AI applications. I mean, they're just barely scratching the surface and coming in. And, uh, and we see them coming really, really fast and also coming in ways where you won't be able to tell which application is using AI versus not. You just like the application because it does something very useful for you. And, uh, and by the way, it demands a lot of CPU, GPU, memory, and hence it consumes a lot of battery. Um, so I think in that sense, I think it's, it's the demand is going to be continued to grow. Um, in terms of regulations, we are, we are um, you know, seeing... Uh, People asking, like from EU and so on, that batteries go longer so we don't, you know, clutter the world with, you know, low cycle life batteries. So increasing the cycle life of a battery is very important um, so that this lasts for a longer time. And that is a challenge for the battery industry is how do you keep increasing the um, cycle life while also increasing the energy density? And uh, that's where we feel we have an advantage that we're able to do both of those. Um, and of course, fast charge is an important thing because people quickly want to charge and go about their lives. Um, so I think doing all three at the same time uh, is the key. And uh, that's kind of the, the challenge for the industry that we are focused on. And I also think there's also some discussion about replaceable batteries. Uh, I think that somebody mentioned to me, I haven't read it fully yet, about EU ruling on how a lot of consumer electronics need to have replaceable batteries so we can recycle the old ones. That's another advantage for us is if we can make a higher energy density battery that can easily replace an existing one, that may actually also expand the market. Great, thank you. And I think there's some questions which are probably better for another earnings call <laughs> but, um, on the financial, so we maybe um, pass them on for that. I'm just curious also a bit of, you know, I'm not sure if, how much you can share about this from a history, right? And because we had some other companies, right, who went public maybe through a SPAC and, you know, it's not always easy, right, to be a public company in topics like that. And I'm not sure if you can share anything on that a bit on, on your personal experience as well. Um, you know, like how you operate, does it change things? Um, just curious from from a from personal standpoint, is there anything you can share? On that? Yeah, I mean, look, um, I think SPAC was a great vehicle for a lot of 
technology companies to get to public markets and access the benefits of public markets like raising funds and building factories and uh, you know getting uh, opportunity for a lot more investors to participate um in early stage companies so i think it the kinds of concept i think it was it was really good and it you know um unfortunately not that many spacs have been successful because you know to be a public company uh, you also have to have a lot of um um structure in place and uh, season management teams that understand how markets work and how to lead teams and you know sometimes it takes time to build those kind of processes and structures and get the right kind of people to run these things and many times early stage startups don't quite are successful because they they move quickly and they do what needs to get done but then setting up all this process is not their primary strength or motivation so um so it's kind of good and and uh, and challenging but you know uh, i feel good about the team i've brought on board after i came along um you know i've had a lot of experience you know working at leadership positions in large public companies and my team does too so it's a good mix i feel and uh, and i'm quite uh, quite happy with the situation but you know uh, it's a it's 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 tough uh, to be in the public markets because it comes with its own overhead um but at the same time it's good because you have access to public markets thank you so much raj and i can see that we you know we've had quite a few questions people are very very curious and we've learned so much but we also got some comments in the chat um for instance uh, a comment raj thank you for doing this not many ceos would be so comfortable and transparent the world needs a better battery so <laughs> i think uh, it comes from all of us to say thank you for your transparency and uh, for going into the details that allowed us to understand a new perspective on the battery market here yeah it's really my pleasure uh, happy to talk to the audience thank you for having me Thank you, Ashley. Also so from my much, side, Ash. and yeah, and also thanks again, everyone, to to listen. And yeah, also just to mention to anybody here who is curious or maybe who joined later during the session, you can also listen to the entire recording on our um, podcast, the Battery Insiders podcast, which you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. We also have been running this for about three years now, so quite some time. There's also quite a few other episodes you can listen into if you're curious. We also have some video podcasts there as well for some recent events we participated in. And yeah, there's quite a lot of material, again, on other technologies and policies and recycling and you know all kinds of other topics. So if you're curious, feel free to have a listen. And yeah, wonderful to have you all here again. And we're going to have another session in about a month's time. So please look out. If you want to get notified about the next session to come up, go on batteryinsiders.com. And there you can also um, you know, put your email in there. And then you also get a notification when we have the next session to appear. With this, we really do want to thank you all. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you all so much.